that sin puts distance between us and God, Brother Barry examines the importance of cleaning spiritual house on today's episode of Through the Bible. Through the Bible is recorded live at Winrock Baptist Church in Abilene. Revelation chapter 2. So I'm titled this message today, but cleaning God's house and cleaning up your life. Cleaning God's house and cleaning up your life. Uh, if you would, if you'd stand while I read the text, and then I'm going to go back over the text. I'm going to go back over quite a bit of things here this morning. But in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. Thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days, whereas Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have few things against thee, because thou... Hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication? So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come against thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, our most gracious and holy Father. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege to be into your house today, Lord. We just thank you for the blessings you've given us this day and the blessings we've enjoyed in our lives, Lord. We thank you for being here in spirit, Lord, and that uh, we may look at your truth to apply it to our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would help me this morning, that you would help each person to glean from your word that thing that they need to make it personal for their own lives and their own walk with you. I just ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and when we failed you, and I ask all these things in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, uh, a lot of preachers don't preach much out of Revelation. That, I, I mean, I even had... I heard a preacher say here not too long ago, man, he just don't preach out of Revelation because he don't understand it at all. Been pastoring for 40 some odd years, don't understand it at all. And uh, so invariably a lot of times they'll go get them a, uh, some kind of a commentary or something like that. And just about everyone you pick up nowadays will tell you that these letters to the seven churches have to do with uh, different dispensations during the church period. Uh, well, folks, that's a bunch of hogwash, okay? That ain't right. The book of Revelation is a prophetic book, okay? Prophetic means this is future tense. The book of Revelation concerns those events having to deal with the second advent or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. And, folks, he's coming back, okay? He's coming back. And we are supposed to read this book and apply it to our lives. Because there's things in here that we need to see. 
this letter to this church at Pergamos is an example for me and you to read, to apply to our own lives. It says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos. Folks, did you know churches have angels? True churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, churches that have the authority from Jesus Christ, baptism that extends down from John the Baptist, that's where all scriptural baptism comes from, those churches have an angel, okay? Folks, there's an angel here this morning. There's an angel at every uh, scriptural church, every church that is descended from Jesus Christ. Folks, God cares about lineage. He cares about where things come from. There's an enormous amount of words and page space devoted in this book to lineage. The story of Jesus Christ and his birth begins with his lineage, you know. So God cares. It matters. You can't just up and decide, I'm going to go start me a church. It ain't scriptural, okay? You don't have authority to do that. You got to be given it, all right? I stand up to here today called of God to preach and given authority by God's local New Testament church through scriptural baptism through a man who had the same, okay? And don't let people tell you any different. That's what this book tells you. That's what this book shows you. That's the examples you're given. All right? I want to go to a church that has an angel. Okay? We need that. Verse 13. He says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr. I know thy works and where thy dwellest. He says, I know y'all are in a bad place, okay? Pergamos, during this day and time, though this was a church, and we can trace the lineage of this church back, and we know that it's a true church, a church that has authority to do the things that it was doing he said i know you're in a bad spot now what he means by that is he said this is where satan's seat is folks that's literal satan ain't like god he can't be everywhere he can only be in one place at a time okay he don't know what you're thinking he can't put things in your brain he cannot physically control you if you are a child of god Demons cannot possess you if you were a child of God. Demons can't make you do anything if you're a child of God. The devil cannot have any control over a child of God. And that is a, another pet peeve of mine. These churches that preach that, oh, well, you need to come in here and get rid of these demons. And we're going to pass out Bart bags when you come into the, into the back there. And y'all can throw them demons up during the service. You know, because these saved people need to get rid of these demons. Folks, there ain't room for Jesus and the devil in my heart at the same time. Okay? Jesus ain't going to live where the devil lives. The devil will flee from Jesus, okay? And the Holy Spirit lives in my heart, and the devil can't get in there. Okay? And don't let anybody tell you any different. 
I'm not the least bit scared of the devil. I respect what he can do and the effect that he can have on me externally. But I ain't scared of him because I got Jesus. Okay? When Jesus walked this earth, demons were scared of him, wasn't they? They said, Jesus, what are you doing here? It ain't our time. What he meant by that was, hey, we don't want to be cast to the lake of fire because they know that's where they're going. We don't want that, he's saying. But he says, I know your works. In other words, I know the things that you do. I know the good things you do, and I know where you dwell, and I know the problems that you have. And he said, I know that you hold fast to my name, the name of Jesus Christ. I know that. And I know that you have not denied the faith of Jesus Christ. I know that too. And I know that you stood fast even in the days where Antipas was my faithful martyr. Now history tells us that Antipas was a Christian. And he was martyred. He was killed in a terrible, terrible way. Antipas was a fella that it said would tell anybody about Jesus anywhere he was, anytime, and he was not quiet about it. And he upset the wrong people. And they took him. And they locked him in a brazen bull. And they set fire underneath it. And inside this thing, there are tubes and pipes that came out of the horns and the nose of the bull that would make it make strange noises as the people were screaming inside this bull. And this was done in public. But Antipas has said, the whole time he's burning alive, He's praising God and singing hymns till he died. And it was broadcast out the horns of that brazen bull. And Jesus said, I know that while all this was going on, that y'all stood fast in the faith when a lot of people would have quit and run. He said, I know all that. But, In verse 14, I have a few things against thee. Y'all got some problems, he's saying. Okay. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Now you say, how, and this applies to others of these letters here, but you say, well, how is that even possible? Because, you know, Balaam's been dead like a thousand years. How can he be having any effect on these people? And what has Balak got to do with anything, you know? And so you, you, you find the answer when you go back and you look at the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, you find that right after the 40 years in the wilderness, just as they come in, and they're, 
they're coming with Moses, but they haven't quite come into the promised land yet. We have this idol worshiper, this uh, king that worships Baal named Balak. And he sees all these Jews come in, all these Hebrews, and he's scared of them. And he says, I'm scared of them because I heard what happened in Egypt. And there's a lot of these people. And I need to get rid of these people. They're, they're going to come wipe us out. we we got to do something. Well, it just so happened that there was a man around there named Balaam who was supposedly a prophet of God, and he was called of God. He was a saved man. Okay? There's no doubt he was saved. Now, he was a saved idiot, and there's some of those. Okay? He was a saved man who was dumb, and the reason why, because he did things he should not have done because he liked this. Okay? He worked the blessings that God gave him into using them as advantage to these pagans. Now, what should he have been doing? He should have been preaching to them pagans, shouldn't he? He should have been telling them, hey, y'all need to cut this nonsense out. But he didn't. And the pagans were a little bit scared of him because they noticed that when he prayed something, that what he said happened because God did what he petitioned him to do. But it says, y'all are holding fast to this doctrine of Balaam. Now, I want you to notice this, and I want you to get a, a good, straight picture here. Folks, we have a church that is full of saved people. We have a church that is a true church of the lineage of Jesus Christ. A church that holds fast to the basic doctrine of salvation. But they are allowing unscriptural things to creep into their doctrine. You know what the worst thing was that happened concerning this instance with Balaam? Now, most of y'all probably remember the, 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 the story about Balaam. The, most, most, the thing that most people remember about Balaam is the story about Balaam and his ass, right? Balaam and his donkey, you know? Or Balaam tries to, to go down a pathway, and, he, and uh, he's riding his donkey, and there's an angel standing there with a sword, and there's a wall down each side. And as this donkey's... Going down this path, this donkey can see this angel, but Balaam can't see him, see? And the donkey, before he gets to the angel, he says, oh, man, there's an angel with a big sword. I ain't going by him. And he go, he keeps trying to go off the path, and he, he, he does it so hard, he crushes Balaam's leg against the wall, and Balaam gets so mad, he starts beating the donkey, and the donkey fell down. And the Bible says he gave the donkey speech. And the donkey said, what are you doing this to me for? I've been a good servant to you. And he said, and so then he starts arguing with the donkey, which I thought was always strange. You know, it's like he wasn't surprised the donkey was talking. So he's going to start arguing with the donkey, which shows how dumb he was, you know. He's, the donkey in the story looks way smarter than Balaam, and he is. He really is. But the reason all that happens is because Balaam is going to that pagan ruler. And this pagan ruler wants Balaam to help him get rid of the Israelites and tell him how to do it. Okay? And God told him, do not go with him unless I tell you to. 
And for some reason, that translated to Balaam's brain, hey, God said, go over there. And so God put an angel there. And God said, finally revealed the angel to Balaam. And the angel said, hey, you need to thank that donkey. Because if he'd have went by me, I'd have cut your head off. Because that's what I was here for. That's what God sent me here for. Now that's the most famous thing we hear about Balaam. We all, we all heard that, seen that when we were little kids in Sunday school, didn't we? we all, we've all heard about the story about Balaam. But the other part maybe you didn't study in Sunday school was the part where Balaam, in a roundabout way, does what Balak wanted without directly contradicting what God said. Even though God said not to do it, he kind of did it in a different way. And that is, he tells Balak, well, if you really want to get rid of these Israelites, here's what you do. You just sort of be friends with them, and you give give them your daughters. Now, you give them your daughters that are already indoctrinated, into your false religion. He said, that's what you do. And that's what happened. Well, guess what? It wasn't long before this false doctrine was creeping into the teaching of God's chosen people. And they began doing the false doctrine associated with the false gods. And at a point... God sent a plague and killed 24,000 of them. Just wiped them out. And then it finally got so bad that God said, Okay, this is enough of this. Here's what I want you to do. These are evil people. These are bad people. I want you to go kill every one of them. Kill every one of them. So what'd they do? They go up against the Midianites and they killed all the men. And they brought all the women back, which is where the problem was. Because, folks, they weren't women like the ones we were studying in Sunday school this morning. And then they married these women who were of this false religion. And what happened? Did the the men get all the women converted to worshiping the one true God? Is that the way it normally works out? No, what happened? The false doctrine creeped into the true doctrine. Folks, that's what happens. It don't happen the other way. It don't. Look in the Bible. It never happens that way. It never happens that way. If you're baking a cake and you dump a cup of salt in instead of a cup of sugar... How much sugar do you have to put in to get rid of that salt taste? Huh? You can't do it, can you? You can't do it. And this is a problem that people think. They think, well, we can compromise a little on this. We can compromise a little on that. We can let this false teaching, this false doctrine creep in a little bit, and it'll be okay. And God said, if you keep letting this happen, I'm going to come deal with you personally. 
And, and, and you notice what he says there in verse 16. He says, repent, or else I'll come unto thee quickly. Now what he means by that is, hey, you need to clean up your house, or I'm going to come, and I'm going to come when you're not expecting it. In other words, something's going to happen. Folks, he's talking about chastisement. God says, I, I, I'll overlook it. I'll let it go for a period of time. And then one day, I'm going to say, that's enough. Just like he did back in the old time with Balaam. He said, hey, that's enough. Kill every one of them. Incidentally, he made him go back and kill all those women that they didn't in the first place. Folks, God will straighten something out if he needs to. But you may not like the way God does it. God's saying, clean up your house. Clean up your personal house. Your personal temple. Clean it up. You got something in your life you need to get rid of? Get rid of it. Verse 16, repent. Okay? Folks, that doesn't... Haley mentioned that a minute ago. It doesn't mean... Be sorry. See, that's what we think. That's what Americans think repent means. Oh, I repented of this. That means I'm sorry. That ain't what that means. It means to go a different direction. It means to change the way you're going. It means to make a U-turn if it's necessary. You need to do something different. And you remember Sunday school, we talked about a little bit about how um, these things that go on, how they affect your prayer life. God said, hey, you have this stuff in your life and you don't clean it up. You don't get rid of it. I'm not going to answer your prayers. I'm not going to answer them. Do I hear them? Yeah, I hear them. But I'm not going to do anything about it. Do you think God would answer David's prayers when he was in the midst of that sin with Bathsheba? You think he'd answer them? No, he would not. The most favorite man to God on the face of the planet in the universe, in the solar system. And he couldn't even talk to God. There's a man named uh, uh, F.B. Meyer, who was a pastor many, 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 many years ago. And he wrote a book dealing with the fall of David and the consequences thereof. And he said in, the, in this quote, he said, this is the bitterest of all things to know. And that is suffering need not to have been. The bitterest of all things to know is that the suffering need not have been. Now he, he wrote this in this book that he was, that he was uh, writing concerning the fall of David where he commentated on it. But think about that. What he's saying is, if you've got something in your life, clean it up before God has to. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a comment to you. There ain't a person sitting here this morning who doesn't have something in their life that they don't need to clean up. Not a person here this morning. If there is, we need to write a epistle about you, you know. Now let me tell you something. This, this is personal experience. Just a recent circumstance. 
But I've had some problems that I've been dealing with in my life. Three or four different things that I've been dealing with and struggling with from years that I've been trying to fix myself. I like to fix things. My family will tell you, Dad sees a problem, he just wants to fix it. Okay? Well, guess what, folks? Sometimes I have to admit I ain't God and I can't fix everything. So for years, I prayed about a problem, or two or three, really, about three things. And I said, and then I would try to do these things to try to fix it. And I, man, I couldn't get nothing done. I couldn't make no accomplishment. Everything I tried just didn't work. And finally, some weeks ago, I said, you know what? I, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to quit trying on these things. What's going to happen is going to happen. But God, I'm going to tell you something. I have these personal problems that I think affect my relationship with you. And these are not outward things that anybody would look at me would know. These are not things having to do with the way I conduct myself or anything, but these are things that that I felt were personal between me and God. And because they didn't really seem to affect anything else, I didn't do nothing about them. But I told God, I said, look, I'm going to quit worrying about these things that I, I can't change them anything. But I'm going to change the, these. I'm going to repent. Okay? I'm going to repent. I'm going to change. I'm going to go a different direction than what I've been doing. And I want you to deal with this stuff. And I'm going to deal with this stuff. And I did. And folks... Inside of four days, God fixed the first one of them things that I'd been dealing with. I, I, I made effort to fix the things that I thought were causing problems with me in my spiritual walk. And in four days, the first one went. In three more days, the other thing went. By the end of the week, they're all three seemingly not even a problem anymore. I'm talking about stuff I've been trying to deal with for years. Do you get what I'm saying? So now I'm like, hey, what else can I fix in my spiritual life? I just need to let God worry about this stuff. I need to work on myself. You know, I need to make sure that I am staunch in God's word. In spirit and in truth, I need to read more every day. I need to study more every day. I need to be more uh, uncompromising in what God said is right and what I should do. That's what I need to do. Because I don't want to be in this position, where F.B. Meyer said, to suffer one of these days and realize I didn't have to suffer. All I needed to do was repent. To go a different direction. And God can take care of problems. David said, God desirous the truth 
to be in your innermost parts. We talk about hiding the word in our heart. But David said that's what God desires it to be so deep inside you that it is ingrained and it cannot be taken out. That you won't be susceptible to false doctrines and false teachings. Folks, it's rampant. I talked about it a little bit this morning about Joel Osteen. I guarantee you he probably had 700 join his church this morning. I guarantee you something else. He never talked once about Jesus dying on the cross and what the price was paid with that blood. He never did that either. But he did tell them how to be happy. Folks, the devil can tell you how to be happy. These people here, when you read this letter, do you get the idea that they've got any problems, really? You don't. They have some problems, but they don't even realize it. They are displeasing God. That's their problem. Repent or else I will come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And look at this verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Folks, I think this is neat. I want you to really listen to this verse here and what I'm going to tell you. Because when I got to studying on this, I thought this was the coolest thing. Okay? So... Uh, let's look at this, and if y'all don't think it's cool, you tell me. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. I will give him a white stone. You're like, what in the world? Why would I want a little white rock? I'm going to do all this, and God's going to give me a rock? Why would I want a little white rock? Well, guess what? Back in Jesus' day, they would have these big feasts. And in order to go to one of these feasts, you had to have an invitation. And there weren't too many print shops, and nobody had a laser printer or a laptop or anything where they could print these invitations and give them out. And so what they did was, they would give the people invited to the feast, the supper, a little white rock. And you said, hmm, well shoot, if I just wanted to go to that supper, I'd just go find me a white rock. Well, they had a way around that. You see what it says right after that? And I will give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. This is how they did the invitation. They would give out the invitations, and they would write a name on the stone, but it wouldn't be the person's name. And they would put that name on the list. And then when you would come up there, you would give him the stone, and he would look at the name on the list and see if that name matched. And if it matched, he'd say, come on in. You can come in. But nobody else knew 
so nobody could copy. You see? So Jesus is saying here, to him that overcometh, okay, to him that cleans house, to him that cleans up his life, to him that gets this sin that is in his life, that gets this spiritual baggage that is between him and God, this thing that keeps his prayers from being answered, to him that gets rid of this stuff and seeks after the truth to bury it in his heart, to put it there so it can never go anywhere, to him I'm going to give an invitation to a special place to receive a special blessing, and nobody else will be able to come. Now, folks, there's going to be some people receive some things and some special honor in heaven that nobody else is going to get. And those people are the ones that stick to the truth of God's word and apply it to their lives and keep their lives pure before Jesus Christ. And when they have this baggage, when they have this dirt, when they have this clutter that's cluttering up God's house, God's temple, and they get rid of it, God's going to bless them. And when you go to this place, this special dinner, if you'll allow me to say, all these things are going to be waiting for you. And it's going to be exclusive. All safe people ain't going to get to go. Because he said it'll just be these people that overcome. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, which person are you? Do you want to be at the special place? Do you want to receive the special gift? Is there anything between you and God? I'm going to ask the song leader and the pianist to come, and we're going to have a word of invitation. We thank you for your attention in today's lesson. If you would like to attend a class in person, classes are held every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 4340 Edgemont Drive in Abilene, Texas.